I'm Katie Lucas. Welcome to the CTX podcast featuring conversations about UX and CX with leaders in Connecticut. Hi, I'm Katie Lucas, and I am here for the CTX podcast from Cronin. I am sitting here with Cindy Bigelow. Cindy is the president and CEO of Bigelow Tea right here in Fairfield, Connecticut. I'm very excited to sit here and talk to Cindy all about this family company that's been around for a long time. So we're just going to launch right into that, if that's okay with you. That's great, Katie. I'm looking forward to it. All right, terrific. I know you do a lot of this sort of thing, and you've probably told this story a few times, so you'll have to bear with us a little bit on that. But if you could give us some of the background of how you came to lead Bigelow and how mm -hmm. you came to be the president and CEO. I've read some fascinating stories online, so I think it would be great if you could go into just a little bit of that. Sure. Well, I certainly didn't walk in here in that position. I'd probably say somewhere around high school, I knew I wanted to work in the firm, but I didn't know what that looked like per mm -hmm. se. Sure, I aspired to run it, but I wasn't even sure when I was going to come into it, what I would do. Mm -hmm. So, but in high school, I started really focusing on taking business classes that continued at Boston College. Uh, and then after that, I um, ended up getting a job I really wanted that was with Joseph E. Seagram selling liquor. How fun is that? Mm -hmm. I did that for a few years, and then I really thought it was time to get my master's. So I then took classes at night to study for the GMATs and took the GMATs and ended up getting into Kellogg Graduate School, went there for uh, several years. Mm. And when I came to Bigelow full-time in 86, really I started, it was very interesting. My father really wanted me to start in the financial department and I was the first individual to get a PC. Yes, that's how long ago it was. Wow. I had the mm -hmm. first PC. <laughs> and uh, I was given a, a, a manual that you opened up and it would say lid two cents, can three cents, purchased on whatever. And I had to create a bill of materials and understand the cost of goods. And I had to do time and motion studies and all the different shifts. Very cool. Right, yeah. And um, really uncharted territory, certainly for me. I had an MBA, but I wasn't mm -hmm. really quite versed, well versed in, in, in detailing cost of goods like that. Right. So I did that for several years. And then from there, I was given the gift of helping implement a computer program called BPEX, Business Planning and Control Systems. And in mm -hmm. order to do that, I worked with two other individuals. We divided up all the modules of the company. We had to learn how that department worked, how did BPEX work, and we had to implement these software programs inside these departments, which required asking a lot of questions, which is a really good stepping stone for right. where I am today. So. After implementing BPEX, I started to work in the different departments, and I really sort of became the troubleshooter when there was a department that really was having issues, whether mm -hmm. it was leadership or processing or mm -hmm. people, or I would really kind of pitch myself to run the department, and it was not an easy thing. I was not given it because I wanted it. Sure. I could sell myself. Right. And I would go in, and everyone would be trepidatious. Mm -hmm. What's she like? What's going to do? And how to forge all my relationships from there, learn the systems, develop relationships, fight my own fights. Mm -hmm. So eventually, I ascended to the sales and marketing, where I learned for several years, and then about 2005, and I was formulating strategy at that point sure. yep. for the organization. Where did I see the future? And in 2005, ascended to the president CEO position. Mm -hmm. And I had some bumps along the way. Let right. me tell you something. That first getting that title as CEO, meh, takes a little while to 
figure out how that suit's going to fit. Right, absolutely. Uh, but it's been an amazing run, almost 35 years in the business, and just couldn't be couldn't be happier. Wow. Yeah, wow. 32 That's a years full-time. Fascinating story. Did you have a favorite department if you, since you were moving around? Well, I can't say that okay. because that's sort of like, you know, saying which was your favorite child. Mm -hmm. I learned a lot in every department. I'm going to say the one that I really enjoyed and learned a lot about myself and leadership and people and the organization was when I became the director of manufacturing. Yep. I had three plant managers reporting to me, all 20 years my senior. Mm -hmm. They'd all run really large plants. Right. And here comes the little blonde. <laughs> hey, how you doing? I'm going to run the department. And, you know, I learned very quickly to say, guys, this is about your strengths me listening to what needs mm -hmm. to be done and maybe helping form strategy, but also removing the roadblocks. Right. So that's my job. Mm -hmm. You're here to help teach me what your needs are. I'm going to help you understand the organization mm -hmm. in greater depth, and I think together it's going to be a great team. And they absolutely lined up because mm. they really weren't going to prior to that. And it really taught me a lot about really honoring the skill sets of people you're working with. Right. And it was, I, I call it sort of my Camelot few years here. Yeah, I mean that it speaks to me personally because I'm I'm a secret manufacturing nerd. Yes. Myself. How fun and, is that? <laughs> and I love to walk a floor, you know, if I actually get to do that and see what's going on. It's one of my favorite things. So yeah, I love I, it. I and I love that. the the people that work on the manufacturing floor. Yeah. They are truly the heroes of the yeah. organization. They're they making are. tea bags day in, day yeah. out. Fabulous. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's easy to think of those jobs as simple or oh. menial. Oh. And when you actually see what they're doing and you see not just the physical, but the emotional and the social and the... And let me tell you, when the yeah. machines decide to not be friendly, Absolutely. it is a very frustrating yes. day. And the tensions go on high alert and it is not easy situation. Right. They do take it very personally. It's really honoring what they do and how hard it is to do it. Many of our employees have been here 20, 30, 40 years. Yeah. We have employees 40 mm -hmm. years. So to be, you know, really day in and day out, all in on making a tea bag every day, God bless them. Yeah. I love them. Absolutely. And I mean, the loyalty there says volumes about that. Great. You don't always see that on a manufacturing floor. Well, so that's great to hear. They know the family absolutely does yeah. love them and appreciates them. And, and I, think, I think the feeling's reciprocal, which yeah. is really special. Yeah, that definitely is. So I'm going to get to this next question because I grew up with Bigelow. I grew up with Constant Comment. That's Yay. my mother's tea. <laughs> it's so, actually my grandmother's tea. And it is your grandmother's <laughs> tea. And so I can't think of a, of a experience or a company or a product that is more about the customer experience. That's more about that exact moment. Those everyday moments. Right. right. You know, right. when you're when you're experiencing that. Right. right? So I, I would love to hear your thoughts about that and how you conceive of that moment and how that affects your strategy and how that affects the, the company as a whole. Well, it's so funny that you say that because as a strategy, we recognize very clearly that that is our job, is those making those everyday moments special. Mm -hmm. And that is the philosophy that we talk about here. It's funny, we consider our purpose, or I consider my purpose for the organization is to create an environment that brings out everybody's ability and, and pride mm -hmm. to make a difference every day. And from making that difference every day is to harness that pride and making sure you're making an uncompromising quality cup of tea to ensure that everyday moment mm -hmm. is spectacular. Right. right. And so what does that look like? It looks like making sure you never compromise on anything. Right. The tea bag, the, what it, the foil, uh, the, the, the ingredients, 
uh, every department, how people are treated, how we treat our customers, mm -hmm. what we do in the community. And so I work very hard to have a very holistic approach to how we operate and mm -hmm. how we think about business. Right. But it, excuse the expression, it boils down to, <laughs> I don't know how to say it any other way, which always makes me laugh when I say that, but it, it really boils down to that everyday moment. So that consumer can trust that they're going to get for the best value, the most amazing cup of tea mm -hmm. that is perfect every single time. And let me tell you, there are a lot of teas out there. I always like to say this, all, not all teas are created equal. They are very thin. They're very watery. They do not have the tea nuances. Mm -hmm. They don't they don't have the complex formulas. Right. It is not easy to create that perfect, mm -hmm. flavorful, non-bitter, smooth cup of tea that is just as great hot as it is when it cools down. Mm -hmm. A lot of teas will get very stringent. Yeah. So we take what we do very seriously here, and it mm -hmm. does make sure that that everyday moment is perfect. Yeah, I mean, that it really comes through, and the way you said that I, I think is fantastic because you it's easy to think of that moment as tiny or small or unimportant. And you're talking about building this entire company and this entire ecosystem around and all of the things that go into that one small moment, it becomes, it elevates it. But there's something about tea that is a little different. Yes. I, you have mm -hmm. a glass of water mm -hmm. in front of you. I'm not gonna tell you every time you take a sip, it's this amazing experience. Exactly, yeah. But with tea, believe it or not, there's a lot of, emotional ritual Absolutely. around yep. it. And there's actually something in tea that creates that. It's called theanine. Mm -hmm. Theanine is highest in tea than it is in any other product. Mm -hmm. And theanine does two things. It sort of relaxes the body and stimulates the mind. It's almost doing like yoga. So really it is honoring that cup of tea right. because the molecular makeup mm -hmm. of it actually creates this environment where it's your moment. That's fascinating from a scientific perspective. It also points to why there are so many focal moments around tea. Right. You know, the Japanese tea ceremony, the British and their tea. You know, there are there are plenty of, of times here in America that you know we have similar rituals and and we go through those mini ceremonies. I think to to do that. And you remember who you're with. There's yep. a lot of letters that we get, phone calls we get, emails, mm -hmm. however you want to communicate but shares people's moments yeah. around a cup of tea. And yeah. there are a lot of very special moments and people, when they have tea, it brings them back to those special moments mm -hmm. and they want to recreate them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I just love that whole story. Yeah, but it's really together. fun. I, my, my grandmother got into tea. I don't know if she realized <laughs> what she was creating, right. these little baby rituals every right, single time. Right, but yeah. right, yeah. Well, she realized something because she definitely seems to have, uh, from reading, you know, I clearly didn't know your grandmother, but, you know, from reading, it seems like she understood that there was something really important and true there. You know, that's that's at least what, what I got uh, yeah. from reading about it. I mean, she felt that there really wasn't a good tea in the United States mm -hmm. at the time, and she liked the idea that it was consumable but not a perishable. Yeah. And, you know, they were very, I mean, they were born late 1800s. Mm -hmm. They were very distinguished from mm -hmm. that perspective. Yeah. You know, a little proper and, you know, dressed mm -hmm. during that era very properly. And I like a lot of the things I did way back then, but... I'm in today's world, so right. I have to be in today's environment in terms of how whatever people act and what they say. But mm -hmm. they really came from a different era, and I think tea really fit into yeah. just sort of her, her lifestyle. Yeah, clearly. All right, so I'm going to ask now about 
how you go about introducing new flavors and new products because you're so focused on the customer and you're so focused on that experience. I'm very curious to learn more about how you introduce new experiences, how you explore that and how you do the research necessary to sort of figure out where you wanna go with that. Well, the ideas and the inspiration can come from many different ways, mm -hmm. but it's about talking to the customer, it's about reading, it's about going to trade shows, it's about seeing what's happening in other categories, mm -hmm. whether it's fruits or vegetables mm -hmm. or supplements. And so you're sort of really recognizing me and the team, we're, we're recognizing this is something that is resonating with mm -hmm. the consumer mm -hmm. or resonating with certain consumers. Yeah. And so that dialogue will start around this consumer need that we're sort of seeing mm -hmm. has significance. Mm -hmm. And then from there, we will brainstorm how to, what does that mean for the world of tea? Yep. And so we just launched what we call Bigelow Benefits, mm -hmm. and it's been our most successful launch we've had in, um, I think, ever. Wow. And how that came about was we actually were, we had a, a, a nutritionist here that was just talking about what's happening in America from a health perspective and what are the biggest yeah. concerns. And so we sort of identified the seven issues that consumers are really talking about, mm -hmm. not in tea, they're right. just talking sure. about. Yep. So after identifying what we call the sort of the seven conversations, mm -hmm. how do you build a product to support that conversation and that need? Mm -hmm. um, and that's how we built the benefits line. Wow. And it, but at the same time, we know that we want to get at the tea to the everyday person. That's our whole thing, mm -hmm. a value for the everyday person. And so that's how we built it mm -hmm. for the everyday person, yeah. not for the obscure, which is nothing wrong with that consumer. Mm -hmm. This was more to resonate with you know, the, the, the individual that's going into a store saying, I care about those things. I'm yeah. going to go to a regular store and get them. I'm not mm -hmm. going to go to a niche store, which yep. there's nothing wrong with that. And it's really, it's it's been great. Wow. Have you gotten any feedback from customers? Tremendous yeah. feedback about yeah. it as yeah. well. And, you know, it means a lot to us. One of the things that we do, when we, we don't just design it. We design it to taste fantastic. Mm -hmm. And that that's really been the feedback. Great. You know, so yeah. that whether they're looking for the one that helps them uh, at night to relax in order mm -hmm. to get a better night's sleep. Mm -hmm. These are not medicines, okay? Right. They are herbs, but their herbs are very strong. So we design this formula for that, but it also tastes absolutely delicious. And that's yeah. that's the feedback that we get. That's fantastic. Do you have any particular programs in place to listen, to solicit feedback, to hear what your customers have to say? I think it's everything is an opportunity. Yeah. Every conversation, I actually was on the phone yesterday with a consumer mm -hmm. over a particular issue. And, and you know, I could tell she really wanted to talk about tea and her experiences. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, if I'm on with a customer, I'm going to actually start to interview them. So I started interviewing them, things that I'd even heard at, out to dinner with friends of mine about tea that threw me because we know so much about tea. Right. And in asking these questions, I found that, gee, there's a lot of things people don't understand mm -hmm. about tea mm -hmm. and that we need to understand that better. So I then immediately meet with a lot of my teammates and go, look, you know, this is another conversation solidifying what I also found over the last several months, people don't understand this or they don't understand that. Mm -hmm. And we need to make that part of our formula when we're laying out packaging and designing new products. Yeah. So feedback can come from anyone, anywhere. Right. You're reading you know, a lot about what are the current trends with the consumers now, and we talk a lot about it. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of conversation that goes around design. Yep. Tremendous. Wow. It's fun. Hearing. It's fun. It, 
it's fun and it's it's development. Like mm -hmm. one person will have an idea, another person will add to that idea, another person will detract from that idea, which is also very important yeah. as well yeah. with their concerns. And then eventually we sort of, I sort of build build something that we know is going to be exceptional. Mm -hmm. You know, I won't, I always say to my team, if we're trying to launch something and we have two particular formulas in front of us that have already had, I can't tell you how many iterations, and one is okay and one is better than the first one. That doesn't mean that's a good tea. It just means it's better than the first one. Right, right. <laughs> that's a good way to think of it. So yeah. we're not launching it. It has to be exceptional. Right, right. And it's also not every president, CEO, who's going to be on the phone with the customer. Right. I think that's a really important It's important there. for me. Yeah. It's important for the customer, but it's also important for yeah. me. Mm -hmm. So my customer service knows when they're talking to somebody that they feel needs a little more attention, mm -hmm. they will give my name and wow. ask the customer if they want to talk to me directly, mm -hmm. and then I will call the customer a few hours later. Hmm. That's phenomenal. That's really just And by the way, it was stuff. a 30-minute conversation with one customer. Wow. But it's really how I believe, I feel, and I share to that customer. I don't look at one customer different than another. I don't yeah. look at one large chain versus another one. Every, every tea bag counts. It's mm -hmm. that everyday moment. Right. Every tea bag counts. Hmm. That, that individual uh, perspective is so important. I want to talk a little bit about you guys becoming a benefit corporation, oh, yeah. if that's okay. Yeah. I would love to hear the story of how you decided to do that. To me, it totally factors into this idea of customer experience and of customer service because we all live here <laughs> on this planet. So I'd really like to hear about your thought process and, and what went into that. Well, that's a great question. I have been very into driving sustainability and what I call GWC, greening wellness and community into mm -hmm. the organization. Mm -hmm. There is no senior leadership member that does not have a goal that doesn't have GWC with mm -hmm. a focus on G being greening. Yeah. I don't, there's no excuses. I don't want to hear that they've done so much already. There's very little left to do. So yeah. I'm a big, big, big proponent mm -hmm. of it. And I try to drive it throughout the organization. And so years ago, I was reading about a B corporation, and I read about the scorecard that they keep. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, wow, whoa, scorecard. This is great. It could be our roadmap. So I asked one of the members of the team to sort of dig into what is this roadmap? What is this scorecard? And how are we doing? No, I wasn't saying we're going to become a benefit or a B Corp. Right. I wanted to see what the roadmap was and where are we and can it aspirationally give me things to work toward? Because mm -hmm. I'm doing the best I can, but right. I don't have a playbook. So I looked at it as a playbook. Mm -hmm. So as we started to really dig a little deeper and then we actually took a very seasoned member of our team and made them the vice president of corporate responsibility. Nice. Yeah. So in doing that, I now had someone that that could be sort of in their DNA. So they started to really dig deep and they said, you know, Cindy, we could be a benefit corporation, which I think is very much aligned with what you want to do, meaning that we look at, have a more holistic approach to business. It's not just about shareholder value. It's about employee value uh, and consumer and community. I go, oh my God, this is great. So I introduced it to my board of directors and they're like, what's that? <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm like, well, it's something we want to do. And they're mm -hmm. like, why? I go, because I think it's the right thing and it represents, but no one knows what it is. Is it, you know, I understand people are like, is it going to bring in more money? I'm like, that's not why I'm doing this. Right. Yeah. I don't do everything because if I did, I don't even know how I would operate. Right. You know, I mean, yeah. it just, it's, 
I understand that's how he had worked at many public companies, mm -hmm. only public companies. And I said, that has nothing to do with why I'm doing this. It's phenomenal messaging to our employees. Mm -hmm. It's phenomenal messaging to the community around us for those who understand it. And we'll do a really good job explaining what it is mm -hmm. to people so that people go, wow, I didn't even know about this. Yeah. So we embarked on becoming the benefit corporation. The state has to approve it. It's mm -hmm. a state-by-state state thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, and we did that, and now we are embarking to become a B corporation, which we will be doing um, early fiscal year 19, uh, 2019. <gasps> That's exciting. So in addition to a benefit corporation, we are a B corporation, and now we have our score, which is very good. I'm very proud of that mm -hmm. score, uh, and we will continue to strive. One of the things to be a benefit corporation, you have to always improve your score. Yeah. And we have our roadmap. We know where we are. Mm -hmm. We are absolutely well in line of becoming a, uh, the numbers to be a B Corp and we now know where we can go to grow into the future. Right. So it's been great for me. It's yeah. really, it sort of um, gives validity to mm -hmm. something that I believed in very strongly for many years. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's your, you're walking the walk and talking the talk, you know, when you, it's when you actually, what you should yeah, be doing. Yeah, exactly. We have children. We have right. to, it's, it's, <laughs> we have to leave them a planet. shouldn't want to be a right. benefit corporation right. or a B Corp. It mm -hmm. doesn't even make sense to yeah. me. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I, I couldn't agree more with that. This is a little bit related to the above, just in terms of the stewardship, I think, of, of our world. The support of the Charleston tea plantation is really fascinating, and I'm sure that there's some kind of story there. I don't want to take too long, but um, if we could get a little bit of, of sure. what that's about. Sure. CTG, the Charleston Tea Garden, was started by Lipton as an experiment, mm -hmm. and they quickly realized that it was very expensive. They can't really produce tea in this country, and so it was purchased by two gentlemen mm -hmm. that also tried to make a go of it and sell their product to Sam's, you know, all American-made, blah, blah, blah. And they also realized that they couldn't make it work because it's very expensive to produce tea in our country. Sure. And so it was on the block, and my parents and my sister were very concerned that really the it's not the only tea garden, but it's certainly the largest yeah. by any stretch of the mm -hmm. imagination commercial tea garden in the country. And so they literally said, we're going to save it. We'll turn it into a tourist mm. place because it's our passion is tea and mm -hmm. we don't want to see it become condominiums. Mm -hmm. So they purchased it in 2003. And since then, they have really put a lot of money mm -hmm. into it. And they have about 70 to 75,000 visitors a year. Wow. Yeah, it's, it doesn't really make money yet, but it's pretty close to break even. Right. And it's just a labor of love mm -hmm. that when my parents passed the baton in 05 mm -hmm. to me, that this is where they put their energy. And they're so creative. Mm -hmm. They're truly entrepreneurs. They love what they're doing. Mm -hmm. The people that work at CTG love them. They get the benefit of working with the most amazing people, my parents. Right, right. And 75,000 people a year get to see tea in this country. It's processed differently mm -hmm. around the world, but they get to see how we process it here. Wow. We don't use that in any of the Bigelow teas. Sure. Certainly not in the signature line. We use it only in CTG mm -hmm. or CTP, which way it's called different things. The, uh, Charleston Tea Garden or Charleston Tea Plantation. It's used only in that, but it's... It's a fantastic labor of love that I'm very proud of my parents, what they've done. Yeah, I'm going to have to go visit at Oh, some you point. will love yeah, it. It sounds very, these trolleys, very cool. These old-time trolleys drive through the 127 That's acres. That's so fun. Oh, yeah, you oh, hear about wow. the alligator that lives in the pond. I'll stay out of the pond. Yeah, you <laughs> see the greenhouse that has all the little baby tea bushes. Oh, that's great. That's very cool. All right, so last couple of questions. Sure. 
you guys obviously have deep Connecticut roots. Yes. Um, I was born in Connecticut. There has been a, I, I think there's really been a renaissance, or there's starting to be a renaissance in Connecticut the past couple of years. I would love to hear you speak a little bit about Bigelow's relationship to the state, mm -hmm. where you see us going, mm -hmm. um, and what's maybe some of the challenges and opportunities you see about being in Connecticut, what they are. Yeah, I mean, I also, I lived in another place for about 10 years, mm -hmm. but born in, well, born in New York, but I moved here at a time when I was two right. to Norwalk, and then been went moved to Westport and you know, I've been here pretty much my whole life. When mm -hmm. I moved back here, I moved to Norwalk. <laughs> uh, and then I moved up to Fairfield. Right. So love, love the state. I think it's a beautiful state, amazing education. Did public school for both my children. Yep. And they went to great colleges, mm -hmm. great kids, very grounded. So I love the state. I have a very good relationship with Malloy. I know sometimes that has mixed results <laughs> for people. I don't really go there. I also know it's probably difficult to be a governor and you're just doing the best you can. I do know Ned for sure, mm -hmm. Matt Stefanowski, but Ned is now our new governor. Yep. Malloy did put me on a committee of uh, 14 Republicans and Democrats to help put together a commission on um, a report mm -hmm. on economic stability yep. and fi uh, yeah. economic growth and financial I stability. I read that report. Yep. Yeah. Fascinating journey for me. Mm -hmm. It was really a a master's degree in how the state is yeah. run. Learned a lot. I would say that we do need to make sure, and what I'm saying really can apply to any state, but that we get both sides of the aisle working together. Mm -hmm. We do have some debt issues in this state. Sure. I cannot sugarcoat it. Mm -hmm. It's about $2 billion next yeah. year and about $2 billion the year after that. I understand, you know, we want to try to take care of everyone, but when you don't have the money, you have to be very careful. Mm -hmm. And not everybody wants to agree with this. We do have a flight of the wealthy that we don't want. Uh, we want to take care of all of the wonderful residents of the state. We are fortunate that the wealthy do help pay for that, mm -hmm. which is fantastic. But we need to be sensitive as well. So it's going to be a fine line with Ned, what he's going to do. I think he's going to do a good job. He put together a council of, uh, run by uh, Indra Nui, who mm -hmm. I just yep. think oh, walks on phenomenal. water. Oh, yeah. The be near her, I'm going to be like, oh. <laughs> but it's a, I think it's 12 different CEOs mm -hmm. from the business mm -hmm. sector. I am sure that they will come to this committee like I will come to this committee. Mm -hmm. I run this organization as a benefit cor yeah. corporation. I'm going to go to that committee as a benefit citizen. Yeah. I'm not going to go about what's good for Bigelow. Sure. I'm going to say what's good for the state. Mm -hmm. Sometimes one side of the aisle will like it and sometimes the other side yeah. of the aisle will like yeah. it. But we have to do some things to really financially put ourselves in a position where we do have funding mm -hmm. for the transportation, yeah. which is a big issue for us. Yeah. So we've been very blessed. We love the who we've hired. We've hired a lot of people. We're continuing to hire a lot of people. Mm -hmm. We're 200 strong in Connecticut out of our 400 employees. 200 of them mm -hmm. are in Connecticut. It is a beautiful state, and I'm very happy that we have a new governor, although I have great respect for Malloy. He did try very hard, but I think it's time for a, a, a fresh yeah. look, mm -hmm. and I think he's got to surround himself with the right people, which I hope he will do, to to make this state as beautiful as it needs to be. I yeah. mean, it is doing better for sure, but yeah. we have, you know, Massachusetts is doing great. I'm yeah. very good friends with the governor up there. Mm -hmm. We need to model ourselves after a lot of the work he's doing. Mm -hmm. He's doing a great job. So Yeah, yeah, I absolutely would agree there. At this point, we, we need a governor who's going to be unafraid to be unpopular right. in, in some sectors. I mean, there's no way 
to get through the next four years without making some decisions that are going to make somebody unhappy. Right. You know, whatever those, whatever group that might be. Yeah, absolutely. I do love to hear that you think that we're starting to turn in the right direction. We have great people in this yeah. state. We have a great state, but we can never, it's like Bigelow T. You can never rest on your laurels. No. I can't no. look back and say, well, because we did grow every year by X amount, we're going to continue to grow mm -hmm. every year. I have to be afraid every day that what am I doing to make sure we're going to continue to grow. Yeah. That's the same thing that the government mm -hmm. has to look at. We yeah. cannot have anybody in the state who says, because we are a great state, we're always going to be mm -hmm. a great state. That's not the case. Right. So you need to have that fear factor that we have to make sure we're driving the state to be a great state every day, not yeah. just today, but tomorrow and the next day. Yep, absolutely. And I think some of that complacency is what caused absolutely. 20, 30 years Absol ago. Uh, yeah. Well, when we were very generous 30 years ago, mm -hmm. and it's catching up with us. Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. All right, so the last thing, and I'm trying to ask this question as kind of a unifying question throughout each of the podcasts. Sure. I'd love to hear if you have any advice for organizations that are trying to emulate some of the success that you guys have seen. Well, I think you've got a lot of great businesses run by a lot of people that have really good missions, mm -hmm. but that doesn't always guarantee success. So I do think for me, it's just always ensuring I'm looking out to the future. Like you will have organizations that go under and you say, well, you know, maybe easy to say, you know, five years ago you needed to pivot. You can also pivot in the wrong direction. So I think you just always have to be looking out to the future mm -hmm. uh, and also constantly developing the people around you. I'm always pushing and driving. I'm sometimes really an irritant <laughs> because it's, I, I can never compromise, but you still want to be doing it in a way that everyone wants to be putting in their A game. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you really need to surround yourself the best you can with a players that are challenging you and that you're always thinking for the future mm -hmm. and you're always always saying you know what else is out there what more can I be doing am I really thinking about you know if this is starting to decline or this is becoming obsolete you, you need to know about that a few years before yep. it really catches up yeah. with you so I just try to always keep one eye into the future and ask my team to keep one eye into the future mm -hmm. and at the same time be very very present which can be counter to what I just said where I'm ensuring the environment is on their A game every single day. It can right. be a little exhausting, but we have to be on our A game every mm -hmm. single day. And you have to role model. If you don't role model accordingly, you can't expect more from your team mm -hmm. than you're doing, that you're demonstrating that you're doing as right. well. So that's sort of the formula that I try to live by, mm -hmm. which is also constantly checking myself. Can I do this better? Mm. Can I do that better? Can I do this better? A little exhausting, but, and, and maybe that resonates with people listening mm -hmm. that, you know, it might give them a clue of something mm -hmm. they want to think about more. I don't know. Right, right. Well, it's constant vigilance and constant self-improvement is what yeah. I'm hearing that as. Yes. Yeah. Just always looking out, though, like what what more, mm -hmm. what more, mm -hmm. what more. And as right. I said, even as a state, what more? You right. can't say because we had X or Y, we're mm -hmm. still going to have it. You know, so, yeah, we are the number one T, thank you, God. You know, we have been growing every single year, thank you, God. But it doesn't mean that's going to happen tomorrow. Yeah. It doesn't mean yeah. that. And you have to take that seriously. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's fantastic advice. But you want to do it in a motivating way. You don't want to yeah, scare people. Right. You just got to say, we got to go. Let's go. Yeah. Let's go. It can't be the big, scary monster no, all the time. No, right? no, no, no. Yeah. It's got to be, you know. Energizing. A lot of, lot of yeah. communication. Mm -hmm. I call that a lot of circling back. 
to the team. Right, right. This has been fantastic. Thank you so much for taking this time out of your incredibly busy day to spend with us and to talk a little bit about that special moment, that everyday moment, and how it affects how you build your company. Well, it's an honor. I really appreciate that you asked me to, to speak today. It's really fun for me as well. And right. I get an opportunity for people to get to know Bigelow Tea a little bit better. Absolutely. So thank you, Absolutely. Katie, for that. Terrific. Thank you so much. This has been an episode of the CTX Podcast with Katie Lucas, a Cronin production. Please visit ctxpodcast.com for more information, links, and show notes. Have a great day.